Well, it's good to have you all here today, and if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin uh, reading uh, in just a moment. Uh, the passage that's before us today is a very familiar account of uh, the shepherds uh, keeping watch by night, and the, uh, the angels coming and, uh, and singing uh, the Gloria. We've been looking at these songs uh, that are uh, in the Gospel of Luke primarily. There's a number of these songs. I've picked four of them. Some scholars say there's more than four, that there's many others, but uh, I've picked the four main ones that I think will, uh, will serve us well this Christmas uh, season. You know, the Pew, Pew Research uh, did a, a survey a few years ago uh, about Christmas, and uh, here are some of the findings. This is just from a couple of years ago. That Americans in the United States, uh, 92% of them celebrate uh, Christmas. 92% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Uh, among Christian people, it's like 96% uh, celebrate the holiday of Christmas. Interestingly enough, 81% of non-Christians in America also celebrate Christmas. 87 of those uh, percent, 87 of those uh, are people with no religion whatsoever. They're just people with no religion, but they celebrate the holiday of Christmas. Among Buddhists in the United States, 76% of Buddhists celebrate uh, Christmas. 73% uh, of Hindus. And uh, about 51, according to Pew, about 51%, half of the United States, uh, Americans in the U.S., celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday, whereas uh, only 32%, about a third, celebrate Christmas as more of a cultural uh, holiday. So when I was, you know, I'm doing my research for today and I'm looking at these things, and it occurred to me what. What an amazing thing that, that it's vast, not just simple majorities, but vast majorities of people in the United States actually celebrate uh, this holiday. People that are, some of them are religious, some are non-religious, some are Christian, some are non-Christians, but it's, it's a vast majority of people are celebrating uh, Christmas. And I thought, you know, there's something, something good about that, certainly very good that people are celebrating Christmas, but there's something also wrong with it because do people really know what Christmas is all about? What is important about Christmas? And these songs that we have been looking at really do in a, in a very short and, and singular way, the way that songs generally do, they, they bring things down into a tight focus, into poetic and uh, musical uh, rhyme and rhythm so that people can find out the, the real core, the real heart of what something is about. And uh, with these songs, I think that's what uh, we see. What is really most important about Christmas? Like Charlie Brown, who asked Linus, you know, he's all frustrated and he's in the Christmas special. Do any of you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special? It's the best, the be overtly Christian. And of course, you know, it's hard to imagine, but we actually do that still in the United States. Uh, Charlie Brown's all, you know, doing his Charlie Brown thing. What's Christmas all about? And then Linus says, I can tell you exactly what Christmas is all about. And he steps onto the stage and a spotlight comes on. 
and he reads or recites from memory these words. Hear the word of God, starting in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. What occurred to me reading this Pew Research is that I think for most people, and I hope that after today that won't be the case with many of you, and and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and then perhaps this will just help codify some of what you already uh, believe and know. But what is most important about Christmas? What is it? Let me suggest this, and then we'll take off, and, and I'll give you an outline in a moment. It's not the event. It's not the cultural event of Christmas with the garlands and the trees, and next year hopefully we'll have some Christmas trees. We couldn't get them this year, but we, we want to celebrate the beauty of Christmas and all of the rich traditions that the Western uh, Church and Christianity has celebrated over the, the many, many decades, but it's not about that. It's not about the gift giving. It's not about the colored lights. As wonderful as they all are, and if you come to our house at Christmas time, I mean, we go overboard with it. We love Christmas. It's not the event, folks. The angels make it clear. The shepherds make it clear. The angel explains precisely what Christmas is all about and what's most important. And it's not about the event. It's about the person around whom the events take place. You see, the person of Jesus Christ gives all of these events their meaning. Children are born every day. We've had five little ones born just in the past few weeks. And they're wonderful and precious children. But Jesus was somebody special. And His birth pours into the darkness of this world an incredible light. And meaning, a rich kind of meaning that we cannot separate, nor should we, from the events of Christmas. In fact, I would say that if you understand who He is and what He does, but who He is primarily because who He is gives what He does substance. 
If you understand that, then Christmas can take on a whole new dimension. All of the rich traditions we celebrate can even become richer and better for that. Every year I try to remind you, I gave you the, uh, uh, the quote by Michael Williams, uh, Dr. Williams, last uh, couple weeks. Uh, today this is another one I think is, is a very good quote. Something to remember, the true miracle, the true miracle of Christmas was not that Jesus was born of a virgin. As great as that is, the true miracle of Christmas is that he was born at all. The very fact of his birth is what pours into the Christmas season and all of the rich traditions that we enjoy their meaning. And so this morning, let's look at this song, the words of the shepherds and the song that goes along with it, and, uh, and, and we'll look at three things. Here's your outline for today. We're going to look, first of all, at God's people, God's message, and then finally, God's song. His people, His message, and His song. Look at verses uh, uh, 8 and 9, actually mostly in verse 8, but going over into verse 9. He's talking about His people. Who are His people? Who are the people that God makes His announcement via the angel, via the, the, the multitude of angels that comes after this and sing this song? Who hears the message of Christmas, not just the events, but who it is that is coming. Who is hearing this announcement, this euangelion, this evangel, the announcement of the birth of the great king? Who's hearing it? It's shepherds. And those of you that have studied your Bible or even picked up any commentary, you can flip open almost any commentary on the Gospel of Luke, and the commentator will tell you that shepherds were the lowest class people in society at that time. They were ceremonial because of their work with animals and dead animals and slaughtering animals. They were very often ceremonial un- ceremonially unclean. And so they, they occupied the lowest strata of society in that day. They could not give testimony because their honesty was uh, in question all the time. I guess they were disreputable uh, figures in the, in the shepherd world. Uh, they were often seen as being dishonest. And therefore their testimony, like women in the ancient Near East, were not allowed to give testimony in court. Neither were shepherds. These were the lowest of the low. And that's precisely who God chooses as His people. And if you, as the Christians in America, we we live in this very privileged, and I know that Christians are wringing their hands and complaining like we're going to be persecuted. Folks, we don't know what persecution is. Come on, let's get real. We have no idea what persecution is. If we're going to whine and complain about persecution being because we have to say Happy Holidays and we can't say Merry Christmas, we need to go get a life. That is, dis- that is very disturbing. When you look around the world and people cannot do what we're doing just by ordinary course, getting together on Sunday morning and freely, with milk and honey dripping on us, proclaim the glories of Jesus our Lord. And so there's, there is a, a strong displeasure, if you will allow me as your pastor, and of course I'm, I'm filled with all kinds of authority. If you will allow me to tell you this, God is not pleased with that kind of whining and complaining by His people. We should be very, very grateful for what we have 
and, and recognize that when He chose you and I, when He reached down into our darkness and into our life and plucked us out of the gutter, wherever you were, however, whatever your life was, I don't know. Or if you're a child and you haven't done any bad things yet, you were just born into a wonderful Christian home surrounded by loving, nurturing parents. You should be thanking God Almighty for that. That you live in such rich privilege. And that He reached down and picked the least, listen, the least, the last, and the lost. And that is how we are to identify ourselves. And I'm the first to admit that in, the America, in America, in the United States, very hard because we have this weird relationship we have for you know, a couple hundred years now with government and Christianity and you know, Christian nation, not a Christian nation, all this other stuff. It can become very difficult, but I'm pleading with you to see yourself in that light. And if like me, if, you, if God found you in the gutter and He found me in the gutter, then you identify with the shepherds. I see myself as somebody who is denied access, someone who is marginal. And even though I'm a pastor now, and on Sunday I put on a coat and tie, listen folks, underneath, I'm a shepherd. And you should see yourself that way too, that God reached down into your life, wherever you are, and He picked you way up. The shepherds were the first, His people He also came by night. And don't please, when you read your Bible, folks, and it says at night, or they went out at night, or this occurred at night, these authors were very careful about how they used language. They were brilliant, actually. And to say it was by night uh, was the same thing as uh, Jesus and His disciples leaving the upper room in the Gospel of John by night. And going out in darkness was there. These ideas come across that the world was steeped in darkness. That the world was steeped in the disquiet of that darkness. And folks, no matter how many Christmas lights we want to throw up for Christmas season, and I love lights, my house is full of them right now, that light will not dispel the true darkness that seems to grip people's hearts. They were shepherds and they were at night. They were in the darkness. It was not merely nighttime, but a darkness that has been crushing our poor, sad world from the creation till now, or till the fall of Adam and Eve until now. A darkness that if you read your Bible carefully, folks, just read it, just without, without any presuppositions, just read it. And the times when you see light come is in the darkness. You see a burning bush. You see a light shining on a mountaintop somewhere with, with uh, uh, three fishermen and, and, a, and a Jewish rabbi who's trying to explain to them who he really is. There you see the darkness break through. There, or the, the light break through, excuse me. There you see the darkness dispelled. Shepherds and by night. That's us, shepherds. And without Christ's light in our life, we live in that same kind of darkness. What about His message? Look at these next few verses, 9 through 12. Suddenly, brilliantly, God's presence makes itself known. It's like all of a sudden the revulgence of God appears 
in the darkness, to the weakest, to the marginalized, to those lowest strata of society, to the least, the last, and the lost. He didn't show up in Herod's temple or in Herod's palace. He didn't show up in Rome to Caesar. In fact, we're going to talk about Caesar in a minute. He, he, he appeared to shepherds on a mountainside by night. And the revulgence of God dispels their darkness. And God's presence, it says, and His power are there. The Shekinah, what is called Shekinah, the appearance, the the physical manifestation of God's glory appears. Bright and revulgent. And at other times in Scripture, when that happens, people die. Moses had to warn them, don't come to the mountain, don't even touch the mountain. When the light, the revulgence, the Shekinah is there, because if if you do, you will die. And yet this light shines and they don't die. They don't die. In fact, it says the light, listen to this folks, the light shined around them. Perhaps in the first time in history of the Bible, The Shekinah was not something you observed in a bush or observed coming down on the temple and everybody had to run out of the temple. Solomon's temple was filled with Shekinah. Everyone had to run out of the building. They could not be inside the building because the glory was so weighty, so heavy. And so out they come. But here, the glory of God comes down and doesn't shine at them but goes around them. You see the white hot glory of God, this unbelievable revulgence doesn't consume them. But for the first time, God takes His glory, His power, His might, stretches His arms of love and tenderness around the least, the last, the lost in their darkness and embraces them with love grace and mercy. It was cosmic. It was something that would never happen before. And it happens now. And he tells them some things. And here I'm going to give you seven because it's a neat number. I kind of arranged it that way so you can have number seven. Uh, Let me go through them quickly and see if this will, will, will help you see what the real meaning of Christmas is so that your Christmas season can become glorious. And so as you share it with people in your lives, with your children, with your family, with your extended family, with your friends, sometimes people we don't... Christmas can be very stressful. We can get into real, you know, bad family stuff at Christmas. We can strangle each other at Christmas. This can make it a difference for you. First of all, he says, stop being frightened. In fact, literally, in 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 Greek it says, stop or no fright, no fear. Stop it. It's a command. Do not be frightened. And I think, for whatever it's worth, I think the angel is telling them, don't be afraid. Not now and not ever. For the rest of your life, the Word of God to Christian people has been, do not fear. Do not be afraid, no matter what elections happen in elections, no matter who, good, bad, or indifferent happens in politics, no matter if ISIS becomes you know, powerful, no matter if uh, Putin becomes powerful, no matter uh, what kind of knuckleheads are in the White House, it doesn't matter. 
We are not to be afraid. We are not to fear. And the message in Scripture has always been do not fear. And here it takes on a meaning that is really pretty amazing because these were people who lived in constant fear. And although the, the, the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, did exist over all the world, it was a peace that was ruled with an iron hand. You got out of line and you would die. And consequently, he tells them, do not fear. Not only now, but for fear, folks. Alienation, think of this, please. This is the first thing that happened to our parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden when they sinned against God. What happened? They knew they were naked, which is not just unclothed. That's true, but it's more than that. It's that they were exposed. They were exposed to God. In a bad way now, not in a good way. Before they could be naked in front of God, it was not a problem. Now they were unclothed, they were uncovered. It was more than just without clothes. And so they hid themselves. And when God says, where are you? They said, we were afraid. We had to hide ourselves. Fear, alienation is the first experience of our parents. And it is our experience today. Look, be honest with yourselves. What is it that really if at night when you're alone and everything's quiet and you're, you're thinking about life around you or your children or your marriage or your, maybe you're not married or school or money or career could be any number of things. The thing that grips every human being's heart is a certain degree of fear. And some people are paralyzed by it. Others, it's just a, a bit of a nuisance. But this, what Larry Crabb calls in his book, Inside Out, he calls it self-protection. A need to be protected because we are now naked. We have no protection. And this self-protection, we, saw, we see it in the dialogue between Adam and Eve. God says to Adam, what did you do? He said, it's my wife's fault. He says to the wife, what did you do? She said, it's the devil's fault. And the devil, he doesn't have anybody to blame because he's the devil. So he just takes the curse. And the, and the consequences roll back. And people from then till now, we have all suffered with a certain degree of alienation and insecurity. And whatever it is in your life, I don't know what it is. I know what mine are, and I don't want to tell them to you because it's none of your business. And right now, I, you know, you all think I'm great, and if I tell you my fears, you won't think I'm great anymore. Right? That's right. So I have to fool you and tell you I'm not afraid of anything, which is, of course, a lie. I have fears. You have fears. And whatever they are, they're chipping away and taking away and robbing you of your relationship and your joy that is the very next thing the angel says. Do not fear. You have now security. You have acceptance. The glory of God was around them before they ever acknowledged Jesus Christ or God's mercy or anything else. They, God preemptively surrounded them and I would say he preemptively surrounds us with his glory. 
and makes us acceptable so that we can enter into that relationship knowing that He loves us and will never let us go. Never let us go. And then he says, number two, Behold, I bring you good news, euangelion in Greek or evangel in English. I bring you good news, an announcement. Good news is simply an announcement. News of great joy for all the people. This is all kinds of people is what he's saying. Not every person on the earth without any... Everybody saved. We're not talking about universalism. What we're talking about is that all kinds of people from every walk of life. And he starts at the bottom, shepherds, and he goes all the way to the top, kings and priests and prophets, everybody, all kinds of people can benefit from this great joy for all people, this good news. And then he says this, it's unto you. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, I, 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 if this blew my mind. Ferguson says this, that when... Normally, I don't know, do they put birth announcements in the newspaper? Do any of you even get the newspaper anymore? Does anybody get the newspaper? Go ahead, raise your hand so we can all laugh at you. <laughs> Nobody gets the newspaper? Do you get the news? Do they still have birth announcements in the newspaper? They don't do it anymore? They don't do it anymore. Used to, some of you all are old enough, I remember, the, you know, they had the obituaries on one side of the page and the birth announcement. <laughs> it's like irony, right? Birth, death. Uh, so the birth announcements, you know, was uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, uh, Joe Smith uh, or in El Paso, Mr. and Mrs. Juan Gonzalez or, uh, you know, wherever you happen to live, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so uh, 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 announced the birth of their little one, uh, Joe Jr. or Paul Jr. or whatever the, the name, you know, uh, unto Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so is born this day, little little Joey or little Sally or whatever the name is, right? Unto them. Look what he says here. Ferguson says it's amazing. Unto you is born this day. Not unto Mary, not unto Joseph, although that was true, they were the parents. But no, unto you, a completely unique birth announcement. Christianity, folks... The coming of this king is not an abstraction. It is personal, intensely personal. He comes to you. He comes to us as a body, as a collective group of people. He comes to us. Not simply to his parents. Not simply to the tribe of Judah. Not merely to the people of the old covenant. But to all people. And he becomes a savior. Savior means a deliverer, one who rescues. Like the judges in the Old Testament, they were called saviors. God would pick, you know, uh, a Samson or a Gideon or somebody and He would say, you're the Savior, go save my people from their enemies. And Jesus is called, and, and it's as if Luke starts piling up these, these names for Jesus. He's a Savior. He's Christ. Christ means, it's the old Hebrew word, Mashiach. And in uh, Greek, it's, it's Christos. And what it means is someone who is anointed. You know, there were certain people in the Bible who were uniquely anointed, sometimes by the pouring of oil, sometimes other men. But they were all anointed by the Holy Spirit for a specific tasks. And these people were generally prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets, priests, and kings. And the angel says, 
this one is going to be Savior, going to be Christ, anointed by God to carry out God's mission, uniquely anointed by God. And finally, Lord, the sovereign ruler. Lord Kurias meant the sovereign, the king. And it's, it's not uh, by accident that chapter 2 starts with what uh, uh, Mike and Katie read for us. Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that all the world should be registered. Along with that registration came a tax. In other words, you would go show up in your hometown and they would do a census. They'd write your name down and it was like a poll tax. Okay, that'll be $5 or whatever the number was. That'll be two denarii. Whatever it happened to be. And it's no accident that that chapter starts with Caesar Augustus, the Lord, the Curias, Kaiser, the King, sending out a decree that all the world should be taxed. From his high place in Rome, he sends a decree that all the world should be registered. Everybody comes and everybody pays. Everybody gives to me, you for me. And on a hillside in Judah, an angel appears and says, No, the king of the universe is coming and it's you, not you for me. It's me for you. No tax. A gift to you. Not just any gift. My gift. My son. My best. My all. Everything. The treasury of heaven was emptied. There were nothing left in God's treasury. Nothing left in His vault. But dust and cobwebs, He gave it all. Caesar, you give to me, I tax you. Jesus Christ, I give to you, me for you. Not just money, my life, I give for you. And the sign, the sign, in fact in Greek it's not a sign, it says, this, you use definite article, the sign, the sign to you, here it is, a baby, in swaddling, in a manger. You know, folks, I don't know how, I don't know where God will take, I'm not a, I don't have any insight, I don't know where God's going to take you. You kids, you young kids, uh, in the church, you're being raised in Christian families, I don't know where God's going to take you, I don't know what may happen in your life. I pray nothing but blessings on you. But whether you're young or whether you're old, there are going to be times in your life when you face some deep darkness. You may go to some low spots. You may be in some places where you think that there is no hope and there's nobody there. That you're broken and you're all the way at the bottom. What we call in, in AA, we call it hitting rock bottom. You've got to hit rock bottom. And what I say is, and what I think this is saying is, that you will never reach the bottom. Never. Because somebody is already there. Somebody has already been to the bottom. Somebody has already gone to the very pit of hell itself and, and set up 
a, a rescue for you, a savior for you, a king for you, a Lord for you that will never fail. And he is there no matter where you go in your life, whether you're long, young, whether you're old, you may be very old, you may be facing some end of life issue that we're going to talk about later today. Whatever it is, you know that someone has gone there before you. You know that someone is there and will rescue you. You know this. Christianity says this and nothing less that anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ will never see the darkness of a grave. They may put your body in there, but you will never go. You will never see the inside of a dark grave because He saw the inside of the dark grave for you. He went to the bottom for you. He went to the distressed place for you. A baby. Born in a manger in swaddling clothes. And finally his song. Let me do this quickly. Suddenly with the angel a multitude. He uses the word plethos. It's uh, the word where we get plethora. In other words, there, you know, it, it, it wasn't just a, uh, a brigade for you military guys. It wasn't a company of angels that showed up. It certainly was not a choir. Because this word host is a strictly military word. In fact, literally translated, you could say a heavenly army appeared. And it doesn't say they were singing. It says they were saying. And that word could be they, they were chanting. They were doing whatever armies do when they are ready to go into battle. And it wasn't a company. It wasn't a brigade. It, wasn't, it was like the whole army, the divisions, the legions. Jesus said, do you not think I can call these? Do you really not think? Those legions of angels never left him. But neither did they ever help him. He refused their help. He went alone. The Old Testament said he tread the winepress of God's wrath alone. Glory to God in the highest. Peace among men with whom He is pleased. That's what the text says. You have God and man. You have glory and peace. Do you see the parallelism that these angels are using in this beautiful, magnificent song? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men. He's saying nothing less than this, folks, that no matter what you've done, no matter where He finds you, that those realms of heaven and earth that were estranged and that may in times of your life become estranged, that He has joined, conjoined those two realms, and that He has promised, I have come down, you don't come up, I come down to you. Therefore, the words that Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, do you see that in the incarnation, those words, they're not just words. They're not just nice words. I'll never leave you or forsake you. He became a man like us with all the weaknesses, all of the temptations, all of the same kinds of fears. And yet without sin, he went into the, to the battle alone. He told the angels, you wait there, I will come to you. 
And one can only imagine them chomping at the bit, wanting to come rescue their king on how many occasions. And he said no. The angels sing, listen, they sing not because of the news they bring, not because to whom the news is given, but rather who the news is about. It's not even about what he will do, folks, but about who is doing it. It's not about Christmas. Our American culture, as much as they want to say, it's not about Christmas. Enjoy the lights, but it's not about Christmas. It's about who Christmas is about. And until you take that down into your heart, until you accept the reality of the incarnation, a baby in a manger, shepherds, the low, the weak, the least, the last, the lost, you'll never find your true strength. You'll always struggle and feel like you're weak. When true strength is found in that weakness, the Apostle Paul said, the angels say, don't be afraid. Jesus Christ has come to bear your sin, your guilt, your shame. The very thing that causes, I think, down if you strip all the other things that we're afraid of away, down at the bottom, what we're really afraid of is that we're not going to have God. That He's not going to be with us. That He's not with us in our trials. That He's not there when we struggle. They tell us we have cancer. There's no money in the book. Uh, the, the checkbook, or, or that the kids have gone off the rails, or my marriage is in trouble, and my career is not going, or I don't have any money. Those fears can only be addressed when someone says, not only will I give to you everything, but I'll give to you myself. And once you have Him, all those other things fall into perspective. And you do not have to fear. On the cross, listen, I'll finish with this. On the cross, Jesus paid whatever tax it was we owed God and more. The world is going to tell you, you give to me, you die for me, you sacrifice for me. Your career will kill you. Money will take your life away. It will suck the air right out of your lungs. All of these things can rob us of the very thing He came to bring us. He paid for us. We don't pay for Him. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy in Jesus Christ our Lord who for us and for our salvation paid the ransom and reconciled God to man. God and sinners reconciled have been brought together as we sing in so many of our beautiful hymns. Father, this Christmas, I pray that um, everyone in our church, our little church, will, um, will have a reawakening of what is really true about Christmas. God for us. God with us. God in us. God through us. And at the very end of the day, on the cross, Jesus Christ as us taking our place that we might be accepted and loved and filled with your grace and joy, peace on earth, and goodwill. Thank you, Father. And now we ask that you would feed us in our hearts by faith as we come to your holy sacrament through Christ our Lord. Amen.